Welcome back to 15 Years at the Fact, a podcast of opinions while re-watching Avatar. With a few facts sprinkled in. I'm Kevin. And I'm Rachel. So, now we're we on episode back. four. Warriors Chapter four. Chapter four. I keep <laughs> saying episode, and I'm so Chapter sorry. four. Chapter. This is episode, uh, I guess, four of our podcast, uh, but it's, we're re-watching Chapter four. Warriors of Kiyoshi. Warriors of Kiyoshi. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, this was definitely a very interesting episode, finally getting some deeper glances into the world, um, you know, existing throughout this Avatar planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the first one that kind of has its own, like, little feature, like, its self-contained arc here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely this one felt probably much more episodic yeah. than the previous chapters. Now they've set up the formula, you know, like Aang and Sokka and Katara travel around, mm -hmm. you know, and this is their first major stop. Yeah, and um I like the <laughs> the beginning of this episode a lot because after laying the groundwork for like who Zuko is, <laughs> mm -hmm. he's opens the episode him meditating, meditating, Focus, fire bending yeah. these candles while he's breathing, super calm, and then you know his uncle comes in and he's just kind of like um do you have any news about the Avatar? And he's like, well, yes, but it's not good news. And he was just like, uncle, you know, you've taught me to, a uh, leader needs to be calm and level-headed no matter what. And all this other stuff. And the whole time you're just like, you're lying out your butt, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you have not absorbed any of that teaching. <laughs> well, that's good because uh, we don't know where he is. Yeah, I like how the, uh, the voice actor also said that line like a little bit quicker than like Iroh usually talks just to be like, because we don't know where he is. <laughs> yeah. And then Zuko was like, ah! And I made a note, uh, 1 minute 33 seconds. Uh, once again, so thankful for whoever decided to put fireproof furniture in Zuko's room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because, gosh, uh, otherwise, how many times would his room have been lit on fire by now? And that, and then they transitioned into that like really favorite joke setup that Atla really likes mm -hmm. of just like, hmm, he must be like a master of like throwing people off his tail and just like <laughs> cuts to Aang and Katara just like, you know where you're going? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're going on that crazy trip to see all the cool stuff that yeah, I wanted to see. Somewhere near water. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Where like the world of Avatar is like way more water than earth yeah there's a kind of a pangea situation going on in the avatar universe which yeah. is fine but it definitely sets up some issues with maybe getting lost at sea um but then we have at two minutes 14 seconds uh the first time we get to see ang's marble trick <laughs> yes and i love the the music that they have for his little you know mm -hmm five second marble trick as well just like it just sounds like circus music to me <laughs> considering how often it happens like uh it's ang's face whenever he does pranks and it's silly stuff like priceless. that it's just like burned into my mind him just being like eh? yeah see uh? i drew a little doodle of his face like yeah. right there too where he's just like eh? you know like the <laughs> big teethy grin oh my gosh it's so great so yeah that's the 
first time ever is in chapter four when we get to see the Marvel trick. And when it's first introduced, you kind of think it's just going to be a one-off joke, but it actually comes back surprisingly yeah. often. So it's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty funny that did that's they, something. Didn't they like reference it in Korra too? Yes, they did. Yeah. Yes, they had a photograph of adult Aang doing the Marvel trick. Same face. Same exact face, but as an adult, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So just a little gag right there um, to start off their part of the episode. And um, then, of course, setting the whole tone for what I think is going to be one of the central themes of this episode. You can debate me on that. It it is the central theme. The central theme of the episode, right, is Sokka being a sexist jerk face. Yes, that is literally (laughs) the moral of the episode. Yes, it's just like, hey, don't be a sexist butthole. Yeah, I think it's so integral to, like, Avatar. They're like, okay, now that we got our first, you know, breather episode, mm-hmm. just get that shit out of the way. Don't be fucking sexist. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry, I cursed. <laughs> it's okay. You know what? We're just we're just gonna move past it. Just yeah. move past it. Happy thoughts. Um, but, yeah, I put, uh, yeah, Sokka being a sexist poopy head. Bleh. <clears throat> and um, another thing that I wrote as well was like when they finally land on the island and like Aang has that silly little joke of just like making up the excuse of like, oh, but Appa's tired. Aren't you, buddy? Mm-hmm. And then like Appa's like, like opens up his mouth and everything. And I was like, this is an interesting point for Aang to make because I felt like a very defining part of Appa's character is that he's just always tired and yeah. lazy. <laughs> Always willing for a break. Always ready to just stop and eat. Um, Very bison-like. But then we get to see a new addition to our Critterpedia in this episode with the elephant koi. Just terrifyingly huge fish. You know what? I think out of all of the things in the Avatar universe, this is one of the less terrifying to me. It's just a big fish. You know? A big, beautiful fish. And all the fish they could have made huge, they made koi, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people think are the most elegant of fish. So that was something, you know, nice to see. I don't know. I liked I liked the elephant koi. I thought they were pretty. And then they introduce the unagi. Yes. Who eats the koi, which is just even more terrifying. Yes. And you had a little cultural note about the unagi, right? Well, I mean, I feel like anybody who, like, goes to a sushi restaurant is going to notice, like, unagi is just the Japanese word for a freshwater eel, Mm -hmm. which is also questionable considering that it's in the sea, but still. Yes, but it is very eel-like. Yes. Just a long, you know, water noodle, right? They just totally just lifted that word out of... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Out of Japanese. They were just like, ah, oh, you know, it sounds mystical enough. The unagi. There we go. Yeah. Eel. <laughs> eel. The eel, right? Um, definitely uh, enough to scare you. Uh, by the way, I really like the point where, like, uh, before Ink goes into the water and he's just like, Katara, you gotta watch me. Another central theme of this episode, other than soccer being a sexist poopy head is Aang being so desperate for Katara's attention like all the time yeah and that's how this starts I mean well actually you know what it honestly starts with the marble trick like he's just like look at this thing and then she's just like a mom just being like "Hmm, that's nice that's great you know and then again with this right he's like you gotta watch me and then she like a mom gets distracted by one of the other quote-unquote kids which is Appa Appa. and runs off and then Aang gets all disappointed like oh mom's not paying attention to me yeah they really push that like 
persona on guitar this episode. Mm-hmm. Just, Just being the mom. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so poor Aang, you know, he's all sad that Katara isn't like paying attention to him and thinking that he's super cool. Um, and then that's right when, of course, the Unagi first, you know, makes its appearance. Uh, like classic, you know, uh, what's what's the name of the movie? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Jaws? Jaws, yes, thank you. Yeah, it's a classic Jaws fashion, you know, just like shows up like the shadow in the water. Yeah, Finn emerge. Yes, and I wrote uh, for a note for four minutes and 46 seconds. I love it's so silly, the kind of wacky, stretchy, you know, animation that they have for Aang when yes. he, like, you know, runs across the surface of the water to get away from the Unagi. Um, I don't it's know. so ridiculously extreme. Yes. I mean, it kind of hit me as more of a Western style animating things. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it just seemed like something I was more I, I would to say it's in. a universally sillyly appe- appealing thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like we paused... Uh, to get the timestamp, and mm-hmm. then, like, you could just see, like, Aang's arms being twice as long, yep. and, like, he doesn't have, like, fingers, it's just, like, weird nubs just yep. flailing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely getting freeze frames of those was pretty, pretty amusing. Um, and then also we got kind of our, one of the first, uh, more generic, uh, sound effects that I think we've heard so far. Oh, yeah, I think they were just leaning into that, like, really cartoony feel of that moment. Just classic, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so Aang, you know, really quickly, uh, runs out of the water using some of his airbending to help him. And thankfully he gets away, but just right when they think they're safe, then they get ambushed, uh, by a bunch of, uh, secret operative type people. Yeah, they just came out of the empty trees. Yes, they kind of just jumped out of these leaf barren trees that had no cover. Uh, but there they are. (laughs) And they, um, you know, take down our team of three in a matter of seconds. And Momo. They and, bagged Momo. Oh yeah, that's right. They did bag Momo. And then I think they just didn't do anything to Appa. Well, Appa was just off doing who knows what. <laughs> yeah, they were just like, ah, whatever. Just leave him, I guess. Um, and so then uh, our group is brought back to the village uh, where these, um, you know, these, what would you call them? These warriors yeah. uh, are from. And it is immediately apparent once they take off their blindfolds that uh, the people who attack them are young girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably like teenage age. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so harking back to, again, like with the, is the super obvious theme of this episode, just Sokka immediately being like, no way a bunch of girls took us down. Yeah, honestly, every time Sokka opened up his mouth this first half of the episode, I was just immediately thrust back into middle school. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. It just sounded like very childish, immature things to say. Um, But I think that's the whole point. You're supposed to kind of be rolling your eyes at Sokka, at least for part of this episode. So one of the questions I actually had during this brief interrogation uh, between Aang and the uh, people of Kyoshi, Mm -hmm. which is the name of the island, um, is how Aang even knows who Kyoshi is. Because he knows immediately. Like, as soon as they're just like, we are, you know, the people of Kyoshi Island. They're the Kyoshi yeah, Warriors. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, Kyoshi, I know Kyoshi. Yeah, and then it's just like, no explanation given. I don't know, and it's just kind of strange, especially given the fact that in the last episode, he, like... 
He didn't seem to know a whole lot about his Avatar heritage. Yeah, I mean, he said he knew who Roku was, but he didn't say, like, well, how. in that moment, it comes off more as, like, you know, he just looked at the statue and he, like, propped into his brain. You yeah. Know? But he didn't really have a moment like that in this one. Right, so kind of just suggesting that there's some kind of subconscious knowledge. Yeah, like, if he, like, looked at the Kyoshi statue and mm. then said that, I'd be like, oh, okay. But right. I don't well, know. he was, you know, roped up to the Kiyoshi statue, so maybe yeah. he kind of like saw it. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they could have made that a little bit more tight there. Yeah, but they were just like, uh, there's no time, I guess. I will say though that uh, another example of Aang just immediately apologizing and taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, when they were just like, um, I forgot what were they angry at him about? Like, uh, just trespassing, I think. Oh yeah. And he was just like, oh, I'm so sorry, we shouldn't have done that, you know? Mm, yeah. But, um, you know, they quickly figure out that he actually is the real deal Avatar, and seeing as they are an island that is very reverent to the Avatar, because they were founded by the Avatar Yeah, Kiyoshi, it was the hometown, or, yeah. Yes. Um, then we don't actually get a whole lot of background information on this island. No, initially. everything about Kyoshi, I think, comes... Way later. M- way later, and in, like, the comics. Yeah. Um, so... I actually, my next note didn't come until seven minutes, two seconds. Wait, well, you're just going to skip over foaming at the mouth guy? Oh, I'm so sorry. Please, Kevin, tell us more. Well, like, we, we <laughs> talked about it the first episode, famous foaming at the mouth guy, yes. where they just had, you know, the storyboard of a guy fainting, and they're like, Korean studio's like, you know what? Foaming at the mouth, hysterically. Mm, yes, how could I forget? Only shows up for like two seconds and then fan favorite character. Right. Him and uh, later on the the Cabbage Man. Yeah, Cabbage Man. Yes. We'll see him next episode, actually. Uh, So, yes, we have Foaming at the Mouth Man. He makes his special, you know, five second appearance. And then right after that, uh, seven minutes, two seconds, I thought that it was very cool for them to kind of show news traveling by word of mouth. Yeah. And they they kept it... um, they use the fish as that continuous element to keep right. it grounded and, you know, transitioning. Right. So, like, we're traveling through tra- trade channels. Yeah. And then you could see the, like, sun setting when mm. they were changing scenes. So you yeah. could tell the passage of time as well. Yeah. Skillfully done. Yeah. It was really nice. I don't know. It was a little bit of visual storytelling that I mm-hmm. appreciated. Um, and then, uh, you know, when Zuko's storming off on the ship... Uh, after hearing where the Avatar is, he's saying, prepare the rhinos. And I just wrote, just rhinos? rhinos? Just rhinos? I don't know if people have, you know, realized by this point, and you'll especially know if you're somebody who's re-watching the show, but in the Avatar universe, you know, having kind of weird hybrid animals, like the elephant koi, right, that are based on, you know, real animals from our world, but kind of sometimes mishmash together, mm-hmm. um... That seems to be the norm. Yeah. And then having animals that are just, like, regular, just, like, our world animals is kind of not so the norm. Well, yeah, but, but they don't like they look like rhinos. They don't? They don't look like rhinos to you? They have three horns. I they mean, were And they're like lizards. Well, yeah, but he just calls them rhinos. I know. Like, I feel like they didn't establish the, like, real pattern of the mashing of the names mm. until later so that's why it feels kind of weird to us now watching these early episodes yeah they hadn't established that part of the lore yeah no does kind of stand out more when they make a joke about like it's just bear yeah that's that's from season two yeah but that's yes, what i mean just bear um but yeah so they, they're getting ready with their 
they're rhinos <laughs> that apparently people ride around on. And uh, I also made a note uh, that, oh, it's so nice that they got to, you know, touch up Kyoshi's makeup real quick now mm-hmm. that the, the Avatar is visiting. Um I don't know. I thought that was kind of Oh, funny. yeah. No, I was just like, oh, the Avatar's here. Yes. Now. Oh, oh, gotta gotta get her makeup all mm-hmm. right, you know, and repainting her face. Um, I didn't do some quick research, and it turns out that um, the fans that Kyoshi is holding in her statue, mm-hmm. uh, one says Kyo, oh. uh, which apparently means capital. Oh. Uh, and then the other one says Shi, which means warrior. So that's like both, you know, the name of her town, her name, and then uh, the... The Kyo, I think, is also embedded on the uh, gold medallions on the Kyoshi Warriors uniforms. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I was wondering what that uh, little yeah. bit of kanji character meant. Yeah. I mean, and then it shows up, too, when they're eating in that one room with the desserts. Just capital. But I don't yeah. think Kyoshi Island is actually a capital city. No. No. I think it's... I don't know. It's, I can't even remember if it ever was. I don't think so. No, I mean, the Earth Kingdom seems to function as a collective of city-states with one, like, emperor, mm, you know? Yeah. But they don't seem to have, like, any kind of king or anything like that. No. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Uh, but then my next note comes in at 8 minutes, 29 seconds. So uh, basically we just see, you know, Aang completely being welcomed with big fanfare into, um, you know, this island village and uh, getting the royal celebrity treatment. Yes, his own little gaggle of girls following yes. him. But <laughs> even before that, you know, just getting, like, woken up with an elaborate array of pastries, mm-hmm. which, you know, every kid's dream, right? To just eat sweets the first thing in the morning. And um, Sokka quickly leaves the scene because he's busy grumbling about being beaten up by some girls. His pride's very hurt. And then um, while Katara and Aang are kind of talking a little bit, about the situation. Uh, I thought it was just really funny at 8 minutes, 29 seconds, where we see, like, Momo's been eating under the table, kind of like a little gremlin. (laughs) He's just popping in and out of the scene the whole time. Yeah, and it's just, like, cute little background detail, and then I just really like, you know, during the conversation, his hand kind of comes into the foreground from underneath the table, and is just kind of feeling around like a little baby for, like, a treat, and then Aang just, like, without even, like, acknowledging it, just passes him a treat. Yeah, Aang doesn't care. Yeah, he's just a very... He's like the parent who just anytime a kid's like, I want candy. He's like, yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> Which I think is to go to say that, um, man, maybe Aang shouldn't be, you know, uh, owning so many pets. Because <laughs> he's clearly just feeding them junk food. Yeah. Um, but so I thought that was a cute little um, background detail. But yes, as you said, the gaggle of girls shows up. So now Aang has like, just like uh, Gary from Pokemon. Oh, yeah. He, he has a little entourage well yeah but instead of hot cheerleaders they're like nine-year-olds yeah but he's 12 so good enough right (laughs) and um yeah it's just kind of very uh interesting to see him getting uh taken around the island by his fan club and uh i really like the scene with like the artist trying to do oh yeah that was the like painting of them a really different scene <laughs> yeah. because it's just like a paint uh, like for the perspective of the painter quietly muttering to himself yes there's a lot of muttering in this episode huh like mm-hmm. Sokka muttering to himself angrily as he uh, goes to the kyoshi warriors training yes. dojo i think zuko was like muttering to himself at one point and mm-hmm. then also like this artist just being like hmm okay yeah painting the avatar oh there's 
there's more now. All right. <laughs> um, and oh, okay. I guess I can add her in. And uh, what the? <laughs> yeah. I like, just, I don't know. It's definitely a really funny little scene of just like, oh, this poor artist just being run ragged by these little girls. These little gremlin children. <laughs> yes. And Aang's just like smiling like an idiot. Just so happy that he's popular. He's popular. And there's girls that think he's cool and um, that. Really just like ooh and awe at everything that he does and but as we're going to see soon enough, like it's not it's not enough for him because he doesn't have the one girl uh paying attention. The one to that him. matters. The one that matters, right? Um uh, but before we get back to that, uh we have a little side uh story with Sokka because you know, still fulfilling that theme of him dealing with his own sexism. sexism. Yeah. And so uh nine minutes fifty six seconds uh, Sokka, when he first walks into the, uh, dojo. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, where the Kyoshi warriors are training, um, and practicing. Mm. He, you know, being this big machismo kind of guy, just being like, mm. yeah, you guys got anywhere that I can, uh, mm, work out. And while he's, like, kind of doing these fake stretches in front of them, uh, you get to see for just a, a second there, when he bends over, the little bit of patchwork yeah. that's on the, the butt of his pants. Yeah, that Katara was working on in that the beginning. That Katara was working on, and so a nice little callback to the beginning of the episode. Well, yeah. I don't know, I like that little detail of continuity. Well, yeah, and then I think they were also just using it to just kind of show what a buffoon he is right now. Mm-hmm, yes. Um, li- literally showing his arse while he's making an arse of himself. Yep. So, uh... Sokka, you know, rushes head in into getting into a sparring match with one of the Kyoshi Warriors leading women. Yeah. Uh, and just an abundance of overconfidence. And I just made a note that I love how sarcastic Suki is during this entire scene. Because Oh, best warrior in your village, huh? Yes, I know. Like, I just feel like, I mean, as a young girl watching that, I was just kind of like, oh, she's funny, you know, right? <laughs> like, I like her. And now as an she adult... She has the actually earned confidence. Yes. Yeah. But, like, as an adult going back and watching that, I'm like, God... I've actually had this exact conversation with, like, full-grown men as an adult woman now, you know, just them having this overabundance of, like, confidence. And you hear women now all the time kind of making a meme or a joke out of, like, mansplaining. But that's just because it's something that a lot of us really go through, Mm -hmm. where we encounter men who have this, like, overabundance of confidence. Oh, best warrior in your village, huh? Your whole village. And um, it's not really until a lot of them, like Sokka, really get their butts handed to them. That they're like, you know, they reach a low point of bruised ego that they're open to maybe seeing a different perspective. <laughs> if they ever open their own If they ever open, right? Yeah. I think part of the thing is also that Sokka's still young enough to maybe be able to admit that he has more to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did say that um, in addition to the amazing, you know, butt-kicking that he gets... Uh, from Suki flawlessly during this fight. Like, I love the fact that she, like, doesn't overpower him with force. She literally just uses a lot of his own reckless moves against him. Well, that's their whole style. Yes. I mean, she says it in the episode. Right. But I also like the little touch of, like, her, like, taking a part of his um, outfit. Yeah, his sash. His sash, and then yeah. using it to tie him up. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, showing, again, that visual, like, bit of storytelling of, like, I'm using his own self against him. Yeah, definitely. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really like... Like at eleven minutes twelve seconds, Sokka's face. I doodled it. It looked the big the eyes and the 
glistening eyes. Sad. The huge like, upper lip. Just yeah. like... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who have watched the show before, you know that even though Sokka does eventually work through some of his uh, sexism, internalized sexism in this episode, uh, this isn't going to be the last time that he's embarrassed in front of a gaggle of women. Nope. <laughs> That's true. So, um, yeah. We get to see that face again later. And just to take a quick moment, like, um, if anybody was ever unsure, like, fans as weapons is does have historical precedent in uh, the real world. Oh, great. Yeah, I was yeah. actually going to ask a little bit later about um, that because I was curious why they chose to have fans as a weapon for, like, Kyoshi. Well, uh... It kind of, it seems like they went with the traditional story. I don't know how much of this is true, mm-hmm. but um, generally, like say in Japan, where I uh, did some quick research, folding fans were invented in the 6th century. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, and they were kind of used as that like typical thing that you expect where it's just like women use it to hold their, hide their faces mm-hmm. and like be for flirtatious and stuff. Right. So it sort of generally became adopted by like uh, espionage and like ninjas or like geisha assassins, right? So it's <laughs> like, uh, or even samurai uh, typically use fans. Really? Uh, yeah. So like whenever they would go into situations where weapons weren't allowed, either samurai or like, you know, the ninjas or geishas, mm-hmm. they could carry fans inconspicuously. And then they could use that as an extension of their arm as a weapon. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's super cool to know. Yeah. Because, I mean, I did know the part about, yeah, like, fans being used by the upper class to, like, communicate with each right. other mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I didn't know that also they were, re- um, in real life, used as weaponry. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I still do have questions about the choice of applying that to someone like Kiyoshi, who, um, those of us who have, you know, watched the whole show and read the comics know, she's most famously known as the Avatar, who was a really skilled earthbender. Because, right, she came from the earthbending nation. That was the first bending form she probably learned. Um, and the most significant thing that she did in her life was a massive form of earthbending. That's true. And so it was kind of interesting to see that they, like, paired that character with a fan. Which you would more likely like think of someone associate like, with an airbender with an airbender. Yeah, a little unusual, but I, I, I guess they're trying to pair the fan with like uh, like a strong female warrior, mm-hmm. and then like connected that to the historical present of like geishas and such with right the, the face the paint. face paint. I do definitely see like now that you've said mm-hmm. that the connection, and I think there is an argument to be made as well. Um, well, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Sure. Um, so. Going on a little bit more, Aang is clearly trying to get Katara to become jealous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this whole, like, scene that he has talking to her while she's trying to just pick out some food supplies at a stall, uh, and he's just like, oh, we're about to go fly on Appa, you wanna come? And she's just like, no, I... I'm, I'm like, grocery shopping for our trip. Yeah, it's like, we need to leave. We need to have supplies. Yes, and Katara seems to have more urgency of, like, we should probably, you know, keep going uh, rather than Aang. And we're going to see that, you know, his lack of urgency is going to be something of a detriment to him later. Uh, But, yeah, just a very, you know, kind of interesting scene between them where they're for one thing kind of clearly miscommunicating with each other but also like Aang accusing Katara of being jealous because I think he wants her to be jealous yeah rather than thinking that she actually is jealous 
And Katara just kind of incredulous to that, being like, uh, no. I'm, I'm just concerned. Yeah, I'm just a little concerned, and I just kind of want to get out of here. Um, but then, uh, so Aang takes off and continues on with his frivolous adventures with his fan club. And we go back to Sokka, who is uh, for a second time approaching the dojo. Uh, and at 12 minutes, 47 seconds, I had a question of when did Saka learn Suki's name? Because he addresses her by name. I think this is just another continuity problem. Yeah. Because, like, I don't think Suki ever says her name. Not on screen, anyway. No. And so it's not really clear exactly when he or where he learned her name. I guess we just have to assume that, like, at some point, Suki was like, hey, I'm Suki. <laughs> well, I honestly think, since this whole episode, he seems to be lurking around the dojo, that honestly, he probably just heard one of her, like, mm-hmm. you know, fellow warriors, like, call her by name. And he's like, oh, her name's Suki. You know, I'm going to remember that. And, uh, but then it's so great because we get to see this big turning point for Sokka, um, a very surprising show of humility. Yes, and saying that uh, he he has some more that he needs to learn, and he wants to learn from her, right? Uh, and so uh, that bit of humility is definitely very important. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that's the 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 best part of the moral of t- this episode's lesson. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you need to do. You need to be open to say that you know you can be better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not that, like, making fun of girls is stupid. Yeah. You know, it's like, you gotta, like, open yourself up and, like, you know, be humility, uh, be... Humble. Humble. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and see people as people. Mm-hmm. And, um, little side note here. So, Suki, you know, takes Sokka at his word of just, like, I want to understand better, uh, everything you know about fighting. And so she, you know, gives him the full treatment and puts him into a Kyoshi warrior uniform and makeup. And uh, she explains to him a little bit when he's first kind of embarrassed about having a girl's uniform on that, uh, you know, the silk threads represent, you know, the noble blood flowing through you or whatever. And I just wrote down a quick question of like, where the heck did this tiny little island city get silk uniforms from? Yeah, that is a little strange. That Who is knows? super expensive. Maybe Kyoshi is a place where they actually uh, harvest silk. Yeah, I don't know. It was just something that was kind of questionable to me. And then they just kind of like, at the end of the episode, let Sokka leave with the uniform. Yeah, he just keeps the whole uniform. And I'm like, that must have cost so much money. And they just let him run off with it. But, oh well. <laughs> I guess it's not really something I'm supposed to think about. Uh, so then again, Aang trying again to provoke Katara's maternal protective side by saying he's going to go and swim and try to get on the Yunagi. What a classic, like, little kid thing to do. Mm-hmm. Just like, I'm going to do something dangerous. Yeah. You going to, you going to come stop me? And Katara just doesn't take yeah, the bait. Yeah, total mom response is yes. like, yeah, sounds fun. Go have fun. It's go like, do it. Okay. And it's just like, you're not going to come and try to stop me? And it's like, nope. Yeah, do it. Yeah. And Aang's so hurt, thinking that Katara doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and Katara's just also kind of feeling bad, but, you know, doesn't really know what else to do. Uh, and then, so the Yunagi eventually does show up after uh, a lot of waiting and the fangirls after they have already left. 
And uh, I just wrote for uh, 16 minutes, 13 seconds, really cool dramatic mouth shot that we got from like inside the Unagi's mouth with all its teeth while it's like fighting with Aang. Yeah, definitely one of those shots that's like easier to do in animation than in any other medium. Yes. Kind of shows you like, oh yeah, Aang could definitely fit in this mouth. <laughs> yeah, like he would just be a little grape snack, right? I mean, yeah. this is a freaking monster that like eats giant koi for breakfast. So that was definitely very cool. Just a quick question. Mm-hmm. How is Kyoshi, just like this island, so chill with the Unagi? They seem to be really okay with it, but I'm like, how do you guys function with that thing well, around? Well, it seems like the Unagi is kind of one of those monsters that it's like, if you leave it alone, it leaves you alone sort of thing. And so I, that's all I can really say is that mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like a shark, you know? Could you just imagine being like, oh, hey, we got to stop at that really big port town. Oh, my God, what is that? <laughs> right? They, they have such stable, like, trading going on exactly. there. But somehow everyone just moves past it, I guess. Uh, so then Katara comes and saves Aang from the Unagi. Has a really cool, badass, water-bending push out of the water. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was something that, like, kids try to recreate in pools, you know? Oh, yes, and they're, like, water-bending. And you just push really hard to try to see how far you can go. Um, but I she, think it's trying to, like, establish the, the basics of bending they talk about later, where yeah. it's, like, the push and the pull of right. water, you know? Yeah, and that was a big push. Yeah, and she was practicing it earlier, too. Yeah, but she I don't know if she was practicing, like, a big push so much as just water bending basics. Yeah, but the pushing and pulling, right? right you know? That's true, that's true. Um, but then, uh, as soon as Katara and Aang are to safety, Zuko's fire, you know, warship shows up. And the Unagi immediately ollies out <laughs> because I guess it just takes one look at that big iron ship and is like, that's not my problem. Yeah. So maybe that answers your question. Maybe anytime the Unagi sees a boat, they're well, just like... Well, it, it did... Uh, Zuko's boat did have like a huge like horn blast and then the Unagi left. Mm. So I kind of took that as like, maybe that's just how they clear the Unagi, unagi out of the way. Just some kind of big sound. Sound, yeah. Mm. That's possible. No explanation is given. Mm. But then we get to see another cool waterbending move by Katara. I was really surprised that she was able to pull this off. Uh, 17 minutes, 45 seconds, waterbending CPR. Yeah, a t- surprising amount of finesse, honestly. Yes, like, you know, just she's kind of like really delicately moving her fingers and is able to pull all that water out from his lungs. Yeah, considering where Katara's waterbending skill is at right now, like... That was impressive. That was impressive. It could She could have very easily hurt him. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Especially, like, later on when we find out how easy it is for waterbenders to control people's bodies. Yeah... Yeah. Danger. But I think Katara, you know, even though she's a novice right now, she definitely still has moments of genius. Mm-hmm. And I think that that'll continue to actually occur more frequently as the season goes It definitely on. does. And I think they're just trying to show that she is growing, even though they don't show it on screen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then we have, uh, you know, uh, Zuko is on the island and Sokka goes and joins the other Kyoshi warriors to try and fight him off. And I wrote at 19 minutes, 11 seconds, we get to see a cool form of firebending that I'm going to call breakdancing firebending. Yeah. The same move I think he used to uh, sweep uh, Zhao off his feet oh, really? in the previous well, episode. I think that he did definitely do yeah, that same move, but yeah. he didn't use firebending, I no. don't think. I think he just sweeped his leg. But with this case, he's just spinning around, shooting fire out of his feet like it's nobody's business. And... Uh, I think you said that was actually based on some kind of fighting move. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much about the Northern Shaolin style that firebending is based off of. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, my first instinct, just as a casual 
martial arts appreciator mm-hmm. i would be like oh is that like some form of capoeira which comes from south america mm-hmm. but yeah it's hard to say mm-hmm. like sometimes surprising moves just spontaneously appear in martial arts cool separate from you know origin yeah but yeah definitely Wait. stands out absolutely for sure it's just like fiery feet hot feet <laughs> but um so then Eng shows up and he starts battling one-on-one with Zuko, and uh, he actually uses the Kyoshi Warrior fans to help him fight, uh, which I think just is very, like, suitable for him. Like, I don't know. Like I said earlier, I just feel like the fans are just very predisposed to doing well in, like, Well, oh, yeah, <laughs> you can see him use it to just, like... Just throw a big gust of yeah, wind at him. Yeah, and he just looks so surprised, Yeah, he's you know? just like, oh, and I'm surprised that he never, like, goes back to using the fans ever again. I mean, I guess you could say he uses the fan... The glider. Parts of the glider yeah, in that way. Yeah, he doesn't use it that often. No, he doesn't. But I just thought that was kind of, you know, an interesting little note. Um, but then, of course, ultimately he stops fighting when he looks around him and sees this poor innocent town ravaged by the fire, uh, which, again, was a good representation of, you know, just innocent people being hurt by war, mm-hmm. right, uh, to achieve whatever games it is yeah and it seemed like kyoshi had a pretty amicable relationship with the fire nation too mm-hmm. you know well i think they're technically like a part of the earth kingdom yeah right? i mean that's what i mean it's like you know it's all very neutral on kyoshi that's true you know so it was pretty unfortunate to see um so last thing that i would say that was like the most probably the biggest moment for me in this entire episode uh, was at 20 minutes, 44 seconds, when Sokka is saying goodbye to Suki, who he's now, like, built a really good rapport with. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry that earlier I totally missed their second sparring match where Sokka actually, like, bested um, Suki, and we see her being a little bit more um, honorable respectful. and respectful yeah. in defeat than he was, right? Uh, I mean, she does kind of say a little mockingly, like, okay, you got a lucky shot in, mm-hmm. right? But then they go back to sparring and it's all good. But anyways, so uh, here at the end of the episode, right, we see Sokka coming, you know, to the end of this arc for him and showing what he's learned and how he's grown by saying... He has learned a surprising amount in one day, it seems like. Right. Maybe kind of make a point about it. Yeah, and so I think just like uh, we were saying earlier about how Katara kind of has moments of genius and picking things up quickly, I think Sokka is the same way just with hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. And, um, but anyways, a uh, really big moment here at the end where he um, is saying goodbye to Suki and he just said, um, I wanted to say, I'm sorry, I treated you like a girl when I should have treated you like a warrior. Mm-hmm. And the big line for me is what uh, Suki says in response to him, which is, I am a warrior, but I'm a girl too. Mm-hmm. And right? smoochy smoochy. And then smoochy smoochy. And we see the little blushes yeah, on Sokka's Sokka. first kiss. Yes. Right. I've kissed a girl. You just haven't met her. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just really love that line. Like, every time I see it, it kind of gives me goosebumps a yeah, little bit. Yeah, honestly, I don't think this episode is one of the better ones. Like, the Aang It's a little jealousy, bit like filler. Yeah, the Aang jealousy storyline never really did it for me. But the Suki and Sokka interactions yes. are much more interesting. I think that's the big part of the episode for yeah. me. And like I said, like, this moment here, like, when they say that line of, like, I am a warrior, but I'm a girl too. Like, I just love that they really, like, drive home... The fact that these are not conflicting yeah, ideas. You can definitely be both. You can There's be nothing both. Stopping you. And you see that in the embodiment of who Kyoshi was, mm-hmm. right? That she was a fighter and she was this super tough person. And um, 
people who know a little bit more about her character from, you know, later seasons in the comic books, she's kind of one of the more ruthless avatars, yeah, honestly. She's, she's pretty tough as nails. Like, whenever Aang has a chance to kind of commune with her spirit, she basically is like, just kill him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so she's like a really, like, hard as nails yeah. lady. But then at the same time, she completely embraces the feminine. Yeah, aesthetic. she has she has a level of subtlety to her as well. Like, mm-hmm. she's very much, like, two sides of a coin. Yes. She, she embraces all parts of herself mm-hmm. fully. And so I just really appreciated that and um so this episode definitely holds a special place in my heart even if it didn't do much for moving the plot forward no and yeah yeah. so that's basically all my opinions about this episode do you have any opinions dad oh no that was about it so um (laughs) join us again next time as we rewatch chapter five the king of omashu next episode yep yep